Hi, everybody, and thanks for listening to the Big Time Talker podcast on the Blog Talk Radio Network. I'm Burke Allen, live in Washington, D.C., and the show is a service of our friends at SpeakerMatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. If you're a speaker or you're a meeting planner, check out SpeakerMatch.com and get together and navigate through uh, the pandemic and what that's done to the speaking industry. SpeakerMatch.com, proud sponsors of the Big Time Talker podcast. Well, you know if you're a regular listener to the podcast that we love movies and we love documentaries. And there's an interesting one that has just come out uh, from Abigail Child. And and Abigail has given me the okay to call her Abby. And the, the movie is Origin of the Species. So Abby Child, welcome to the Big Time Talker podcast. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. So I... I loved the look and the feel of this documentary, but I want to start at the beginning. If, if somebody says, hey, Abby, what's Origin of the Species about? How do you describe this movie? I guess I would describe it as exploring science, ethics, cutting-edge technology of human-machine interaction today and trying to bring that into audiences living room if you will along with uh surrounding it with kind of the historical mythology that humans have had for a long time to build a, a mechanical body that would imitate a human um so i'm kind of combining myth the historical myth with the present day contemporary research and then the ethical issues that surround that research and so for folks who haven't seen the film yet and, and most of our listeners have not yet you have some just incredible interviews with the scientists who build very lifelike robots and and sort of the challenges they go through along with the moral and ethical challenges is the scientific challenges of things like well you know this one doesn't answer questions very well it's it's sort of like Alexa when you try to ask for your favorite song and you don't get it but <laughs> coming out of this out of this exactly. very human like uh, uh, robot what got you interested in this topic? Because it's really cool and interesting to watch, but but I couldn't help but think, okay, what? why is the filmmaker doing this? So what got you interested? Well, you know, I, I would say, you know, lots of, you know, a, a couple of reasons. A big one is what could be more important right now than our relation to machines? Um, and I, I guess I should also say this is the third in my trilogy on female and desire. And I did one on 19th century Mary Shelley and her life. And of course, she's the teenage author of Frankenstein, the very first science fiction novel we have. Right. And then I did one on 19th century Emma Goldman and I knew all along the 21st century film would be the virtual woman. And originally, I even was thinking of the hologram rock and roll singer in Japan. But eventually, I went to androids. And part of it, when I think about it, I, I think, you know, certainly it's it's in you know, as a cinema maker, it's in our myth of, of the robots, you know, that is either our companion or our enemy or smarter than us or we control it as a servant. But also, I, I was thinking when I was growing up in New Jersey, at, there was a fortune telling humanoid at the amusement arcades on the Jersey Shore. And I remember you'd put in a quarter and it would light up and kind of look human. I mean, look, yeah, very, very modern in a way, you know, to even contemporary moment. It didn't move except its face and then it would give you a fortune so between frankenstein philip k dick stories and automata like that um 
I've, I've always been interested. And, and actually, I, was, I have a line, but I think it's really true, is I watched cartoons with obsessive affection as a kid. And so I've always been interested, and maybe this is also part of being a movie maker, in artificial construction and how it's created and how our society will use or enslave it. So, you know, it, it just became like, yes, Android. And, and of course, we think about it. There's lots of talk about robots taking over labor in factories. But I, I think my interest in that human machine and human looking machine and also the kind of godlike um, creation. And, and maybe, again, you know, the scientists are kind of playing God, but maybe we as artists have a little bit of that in our own creations. You know, I'm not making a film in the shape of a human, but I am creating a world. So I, I think that on top of our sort of algorithmic reality we live in pointed me that way. Abby Child is our guest today on the Big Time Talker podcast. Her new documentary film is called Origin of the Species. And uh, where can folks see the, the documentary? Well, right now it's premiering at... Uh, you know, Doc, New York City, and that'll be from November 11th to the 19th. Um, and what's great, um, a great, you know, it's sad we can't be there in person, but what's wonderful about streaming is you could, from noon on the 11th of November to midnight on the 19th, you can look at it anytime. So you don't have to be in a theater at 4 p.m. You can be in your house at 11 p.m. or 2 you know, 2 a.m. or 4 p.m. and see it. So that's where it's showing right now. And I'm hoping it'll get to be shown in more places and in Europe. We'll see what's happening. There's, there, we're beginning. <laughs> we're on the launching pad here for Origin of the Species. Uh, Abby Child is our guest. And the film, it's almost impossible to describe it just, you know, verbally for this podcast, how um, lifelike these robots are. So, the, you know, these are, are not, uh, you know, the robot from Lost in Space. These things look and sound and, uh, you know, move in a very lifelike way. Um, and it, it borders kind of on the creepy, Abby. And I wonder... Totally, totally. It's creepy. It's a little uncanny. And I actually found for me, that the ones that move like humans are almost more creepy than the ones that sort of just look but sit and, you know, talk to you. Um, I will say, though, when, when you're talking to Erica is one of them that looks very human from Japan, mm -hmm. and you don't want to offend her. You're, you're very polite. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, and when she repeats, you're kind of embarrassed for her, you know, like you don't want to push her. It's very, it, it's a, it's very crazy. One of the scientists, uh, Matthias Schutz, who's kind of, um, he's at Tufts and he's in a way a moral compass of the film. He said something that human beings um, are trained to give um, human feeling to anything that moves with intentionality. And this is probably from our days, you know, as early homo sapiens when we're out hunting or relating to other moving objects. So we do that even, you know, even with vacuum cleaners, <laughs> you know, we, yep. we humanize them, we anthropomorphize them. So I think once they look like us, we really do it. You know, we, we want to be kind. We want to ask questions. Um, we cover for their their mishaps where they repeat or ask questions awful. We also laugh at them a little bit. So there's a funny um, 
relationship we have with these things. But there, there is but, some humor in the film, and and one of the things I thought was really unique about it is. Uh, and this is stereotyping a little bit, but you, you sort of think of, of guys as being sort of the, the nerdy scientist guys and all. But you bring a female perspective into this film that I thought was really refreshing. Great, great. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was very important. I mean, we always have to ask, you know, why is Alexa a female voice? Yeah. And, or Siri. You know, and, 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 yeah, or Siri. And when I, I asked actually the guy um, with the sex robots uh, yes. of this creation, and he said, well, women are, are kinder and, <laughs> and, and, you know, serve you. <laughs> and wow. of course it is. It's our myth of motherhood or our reality of motherhood. Um, but, but, you know, coming to it as a woman, that becomes an issue to really look at and question a little more deeply, uh, particularly when you're looking at something like a companion or a sexual companion. And then, of course, there are the male ones who are often for war, uh, soldiers, um, factory laborers. But yes. And but the humor you were talking about, I, I really think humor is the way to speak about many things that kind of touches people deeply and 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 I do think in this um you know that robots have this pop culture sensibility around them and there's a part of them you commit to and there's a part you you're kind of like wow that is crazy <laughs> just what you said it's uncanny but it's also um so how do you deal with the uncanny I could have done a horror movie but I wanted to do more um a realistic movie with some irony with some wit about it so that's where I brought those aspects in Abby Child is our guest today. She's the director and co-producer of Origin of the Species, which is a brand new documentary that deals with with these very lifelike uh, robots and robotics. And and Abby, when I started watching this, I flashed back to the very first time I went to Disney World and I saw the Hall of Presidents. And and right. I'm sure other people have probably talked to you about that. And and for our listeners who have been to the Hall of Presidents, you know, you, you look up and you see, uh, you know, the, these presidents who move slightly and they they speak, but but they are speakers. These robots, though, that you looked at interact with other people in some pretty amazing ways. What surprised you the most when you began th this whole journey with these robots and their makers? Um, let's see what surprised me the most. What surprised me was, of course, my own response to them that from maybe, oh, come on to, oh, my God, I am relating to them. And, right. and you know, and I'm tr uh, that that my inner, you know, sort of against me my intellect or my rational self, I am relating emotionally to these um, machines. So that that's one thing that was kind of very, very striking. I would say the other thing was realizing that movement um, made me almost more disturbed, um, uh, like the ones by Boston Dynamics. Um, they're, um, they don't look as human, but they, their limbs move in a way that's completely human. And that was frightening to me um, in a way that just talking to them is uncanny, but not frightening. Uh, of course, for Boston Dynamics, they, are, they were originally created to be by DARPA, the U.S. Defense Department. So they were 
you know, intended to be soldiers, which might be frightening in and of themselves. So, so that those two observations were very interesting to me. But I'll also add, and it, it's not about exactly what you're talking about, but further in the film where you start to look at prosthetics, right. and if and if machines are becoming more human, are the question in the film kind of asks: Are humans becoming more like machines? And there's that very intense scene where the the paraplegic Nathan has had his brain um, has had his skull cut open and implants put in his brain where he can think movement and at a distance an arm will move. And I found that totally extraordinary and maybe the strangest thing in the film. It's more subtle, but it was, you know, can you imagine that we could think and move a door? <laughs> it just seems crazy. <laughs> well, you're exactly right. Abby Child is our guest today. The The movie that I've found fascinating on so many levels is Origin of the Species. It's a brand new documentary. And, uh, and, I, I will share something with you, Abby, that, that I thought about when I watched that, that many people don't know about me. I, I was brought up by, I'm an only child, by parents who were both in wheelchairs. My father was a paraplegic, and he oh, wow. had been in a car accident. So I had no idea that was coming in the movie. And, of course, you can imagine where my mind went immediately. And and it touched me on such a visceral level. I wonder, as a as somebody, as the filmmaker who was intimately involved in this whole thing and, and around these robots and these brilliant people who made them, if, if you could look into your crystal ball, where do you think this is all going to wind up? I mean, what's going to happen 20 years down the road, 50 years down the road? Can we even imagine where this is going to wind up 100 years down the road? What do you think? Well, a hundred years is, is even harder. But I would say within 20 years, we're going to see two different directions. We're going to see many more prosthetics, right? many more prosthetics. I mean, what they're trying to do in the case of Nathan ultimately is Bluetooth it. So they don't have to um, have, uh, you know, that they can implant it uh, not as invasively as cutting open a skull, skull right. uh, you know, because and somehow do it through Bluetooth. So people who have lost uh limbs or you know movement have aspects so i think there's going to be much more of that and there's also another whole thing that i didn't go into where if you've lost a leg they can put in a, a false prosthetic but connect the nerve endings of the leg so that you can move the prosthetic almost like you would a foot i mean it won't be as mobile as a foot but you can you can actually make it move say to move a leg so you could walk so there's going to be more of that I definitely see that. I see a huge increase in that. On the other hand, in terms of human scale robots, I, I've come back with a kind of mixed thing. On one hand, something like Fukushima, mm -hmm. the nuclear thing, that caused a huge uh, escalation of research in human scale robots. Because when there was a disaster like that, you had to step over things and turn knobs to open or turn off valves. So Yes, there will be more human scale robots instead of a box or, you know, in the film, you see all these factory, uh, you know, um, robots, which aren't exactly human scale. Right. But they're not all going to look like Roombas in the future. They exactly. really will look like people. Yeah. They may, they may indeed. I think that will increase. Um, whether they, now this is where I'm more skeptical, whether there will be a walking, talking robot to interact with you. And that could fool you 
I doubt. <laughs> I just don't see it. Um, because if you notice in the film, the ones that move don't look human. And the ones that look really human don't move. Um, and, I, and right now they haven't solved that um, because we're an unusual you know, organism that is both soft and hard. And, you know, we can walk and talk and bend our, our muscles and jump and be spontaneous. That's why I think Ikigami, Professor Ikigami, where he talks about spontaneity being really about artificial, he said it, uh, he said it's artificial life, not AI, not algorithmic. Um, and that life is much more spontaneous. So do I think they're going to fool a human not quite. I do think, you know, they can beat you at chess, um, yeah. but they have a hard time picking up a pencil. So how they'll combine the mental with the physical, I think is maybe a hundred years from now, we're going to see that, you know? You know, you touched on in the film, um, this whole concept of these, these sex ro robots. You mentioned earlier in the conversation that they're being built and, and gradually introduced into society probably that is the thing that weirded me out the most because of just where that all goes with human intimacy and the way we relate with one another. And, and you know, there have been uh, fiction films and books that have been written about that, about, you know, people who fall in love with machines. You mentioned right. you know, Philip K. Dick. Do you, do you really, in your crystal ball, do you see that actually having a big shelf life and, and, and what maybe did you uncover that didn't make it into the film about that whole end of robotics? Well, that end of robotics is, is large. And that is, it, in the film, it even says that these, in the past few years, there were a couple, there was Pepper in Japan and another one um, here in the United States that were trying to make robots that could enter people's houses, you know, be, you could live with them. Right. And they were not successful. The most successful robot has, that's entered people's homes is the sex robot. And I do think this raises troubling questions about gender and intimacy and assumptions about relationships that I think will increase. Um, I mean, we're already, I, I, I've taught for many years and I, 10 years ago, I remember students making films, you know, where 10 couples were in an apartment and all of them are relating to the computer or a phone rather than the person. The one another. So, yeah. Exactly. And, and so I think this, I think this is a, this is a large ethical issue. I mean, I think there are many ethical issues with robots, but I think about human relations is a big and troubling one. Um, I mean, the robotics, you know, describes it that it's helpful and it may be helpful for some people who have trouble relating to people, but I do wonder what it will make you think, you know, uh, about females in particular, um, but certainly, you know, a relationship. And we're already seeing it where teenage, you know, young kids prefer texting than seeing each other, sure. you know, and all the what time. Exactly. I just remember a really early cartoon I saw as a teenager myself, which was a stick body wired to a desk. And, you know, it was like the future. I mean, and this was many, many years ago. And of course, that's what we are with the Internet. That That's where we're living right now. And what happens, you know, you know, we don't for me, we don't want to give up that body. And um, what happens when the only when the body's you can choose our, our 
mechanical or plastic are not spontaneous are programmed and then the questions who programs these creatures um and and you know that's a question i think the film asks is, is do you want the scientists to program them and do you want the male scientists to program them would you prefer the female scientists and i did notice the female scientists keep saying uh keep that human in the loop and and i thought that that's an interesting future you know can can they be part of our community rather than separating us it does open up so many questions it does and I don't have all the answers, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I was hoping the film would raise these questions in the audience so you're more aware of what's going on that maybe you didn't know was at this level, you know, yet. I think your job, and by the way, if you're just joining us in the podcast, uh, Abby Child is our guest today. She's the director and co-producer of this fascinating new movie called Origin of the Species. I think your job as a documentary filmmaker would be maybe the most fun thing ever because you get to be a fly on the wall and observe these amazing things like you did in this film. Um, but I do have to ask you just sort of a nerdy film question. And, and that's this, you, you do, you talk about the, the look and the feel of the film and, and how you reach back and, and you're influenced by Philip K. Dick and, and uh, Frankenstein, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. You've got some really cool video clips in there, you know, that give the, the movie a retro feel. How difficult is it to get the rights to show some of that kind of stuff? <laughs> I'm sure it's going to some of it's difficult and some of it is fair use because I'm using it to uh, play up against, you know, to make a comment. I'm not using right. it just for entertainment. I'm actually putting it, you know, placing it in a montage relation where it's ironic or it's needed to uh, sort of disarm. Uh, expectations. So I think as long as you're doing that, you're in the fair use um, uh, placement. Um, and and many of them are older. I, I purposely didn't use her or or Ex Machina. Right. You know, much more contemporary films, trying not to get into that issue. Um, and they do it so beautifully. It, I felt it was more the myth I'm trying to set up and maybe uh, both elaborate and dispel at the same time. And maybe that was the the really cool feel that I took away from the movie. You can't really you know put it into words, but it just has this really cool feel. Tell me about the the scientists and and the robot builders, if you will, that that you met while doing this. What are those well, folks like? Well, Ishiguro is amazing. He's he's the first guy we look at who makes geminoids, yes. makes them in in his own image, right. which is so crazy and interesting. He told me his very first one, this is something that didn't get in the movie, was his daughter. And when I asked, why did you do your daughter? He said, well, it was easier to get the rights. You know, I didn't have to get permission. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but I think... Uh, He's a showman in many ways. I mean, he's definitely a great scientist, a great roboticist, and he helps many people. I mean, um, two of the other people have worked with him that are in the film. He's really a leader. Um, I was thrilled to be able to access his laboratory and interview him. So he is... Um, you know, he's a funny guy. He's very determined doing what he's been doing for years. I mean, and they've improved slowly. Um, you know, when I expressed a question about machinery and the ethics, he was like, well, if you, you know, you can give me your iPhone. 
<laughs> he was he, he was very adamant that machines will save the world. He says it in the film, robots will save us. And in Japan, there's an issue of population decline and that robots could be, you know, take over the jobs that there's no one to fulfill. I mean, you could also ask about Japan, which is a very uh, homogeneous country. Mm-hmm. Very wonderful. I loved it. Loved the culture. Loved being there. Um, but, um, you know, you could think about what about issues of immigration from other areas in the Far East. Um, and so so that's an issue, I think, for many developed countries, if their birth rate's going down, you know, how do you then absorb new people in to take over the jobs, or would you prefer a robot, you know? Um, so I think those are, like, very uh, complex ethical issues. Um, but he's he's an amazing man. He's, he's teaching... Um, in Osaka, the university there, and working for this ATR, this research lab. Um, and he's um, making geminoids. What can I say? They're crazy. Now, um, that's Ishiguro. And Ikigami is at the University of Tokyo. He's the second man, man we look at. And he is a physics uh physics doctorate and he the face of alter do you remember alter yes. the the uh, who i find very beautiful um the face is actually um in con- made in conjunction with ishiguro and you can almost see there is a relationship there but for ikigami that whole issue he doesn't because you have to realize um the geminoids they're programmed they're given bot language and it's algorithmic i don't know if your audience completely understands that but what it is is if i say the weather they might have four comments and so it's like a branching system where a key word leads the robot to respond, which is why the robot can make a mistake and not answer the question you ask because they're just picking up on a keyword and it may be completely inappropriate. And that's why the more branches you have, the more accurate you can be. And for Ikigami, he's not doing that. What his robot is doing, which is so interesting, I, I found him very inspiring um, artistically, um, uh, it's a it's a different mode of of, uh, develop, of research, which is he wants the robot to respond to the environment directly. So it's not really speaking; it's like learning to speak. It's in right. a learning process where things come in and it changes it, but it's got fewer. Um, it's got fewer inputs, you know, it, it's not responding in this deep branch. It's making the branch from the beginning. So it, it, that's why it moves to the music, you know, it's responding to music. So maybe he, you know, maybe to music, to light, to, to volume of sound, and then it will move in relation to that. So it's a simpler robot, but um, kind of like a baby. <laughs> Almost intuitive, though, the way that that one can grow in their responses. It's just uh, exactly yeah, the, the whole thing is just mind blowing. And, and I, I don't think a podcast can do it justice. I encourage our, our listeners to check out origin of the species. Abby child has been spending time with us talking about her, her new film and, and tell us again, how folks can find this online. They can fil- find it online. If they go to doc, New York city, which is a film festival that will start at noon, November 11th and go to midnight on November 19th. And if you put in origin of the species, you'll come up and you can get a ticket. And I think you have at least 
48 hours or maybe longer to watch it streaming. Um, and you can do it at any time of the day you want to do it, which is pretty wonderful. So please go and enjoy it. It, it's a fun watch, you know. Thank we, you. Well, you're welcome. You know, we're, we're talking about these scientific principles and all, and it's totally not that. It's just this really fun, interesting <laughs> movie to watch. It, it's it's like if you were an author, you know, it would be a page turner. It's that kind of thing. So. Oh, thank you. That's great. Well, great. you're very welcome. Um, what's your favorite part of being a documentary filmmaker? What do you like the most? Wow. I, I think... Two play well, maybe three places I love it. I love thinking about it before it's even begun because then it's 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 endless, you know, it's it's so open-ended, anything's possible. And then I love meeting people. I actually studied anthropology and undergraduate and uh people my friends say you'll talk to anybody <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> true Correct. Um, i'm actually interested in people so they tell me things i find um so that's the other the second part i love and maybe the third part is when i'm editing um because editing is so transforming you can again it's kind of like almost you can make anything happen so those are sort of the pre-processing the doing and the the post-production are these elements that I adore. What do you hope happens with this movie? Um, do you have a goal in mind? Do you, do you want people to be more accepting of this? Do you want them to be aware of where robotics can go? Do you want to give them that oh wow moment when they see that on the screen? What do you want your viewers to take away? Well, I love the oh wow moment for sure, but I do want them to think about this. That I, I want them to have fun, but I think uh, I want them to really think: what is this that's going on? How does it need to be controlled? Does it need to be controlled? Um, we've experienced the internet. We thought working it with it, it would become free and easy and fair play, and we've watched it get unfettered and perhaps out of hand and maybe there's some sense that we need to think that way about this development this research it's uncanny it's spectacular uh it's entertaining and it's also um awesome in both senses of that word you know um both wonderful and a little fearful you know, we mentioned uh, the Japanese scientists, uh, and, and I, I could almost pick up on, on the one gentleman, the, that sort of P.T. Barnum quality that he has a little bit. You know, there's <laughs> <laughs> sort of that Definitely. part of it. Um, but, but also, there are some brilliant American scientists as well. And, you know, there, there's a, a big push and has been for the last couple of decades in, in schools here to, to push STEM um, in curriculum. And I wonder if you have any thoughts on on how young people, you know, might gravitate towards this to help push robotics along? Um, well, I think it's great if they do get involved. Um, I think STEM's really exciting, and I think it, it, we need to push it. America's lost a little bit, and, in, in, you know, they need to, you know, from the Sputnik era, we need to keep going with our scientific prowess, if you will. And I think it's fascinating. And I know there's a bunch of, of um, what was it? That there's, a, there's a model who's doing, you know, coding for girls. Right. And I do think, um, you know, that women are not doing as much in science as, as men are not attracted to it. Don't stay with it as long and don't have as much room for uh, professional work. You know, there, there's always still talk about women scientists not being treated quite the same. So I think that's a large area for 
you know, students to really move into. But it, you know, at all levels, um, it's it's intriguing. It's great to make something move. You know, it's it it's it's a it's a lifelike thing, and it is a creative process. So I would, you know, just encourage the uh, students to do it in schools and for schools to develop these programs. I also wanted to mention, just when you're talking about American scientists, is that your Disney mention is Hansen, who does Sophia, and he actually also did the original creation of Bina 48, two characters in the film as well, um, who look very human. And he was a Disneyteer. <laughs> he originally modeled a lot of the Disney uh, automatons. So um, interesting that that lifelike force has, you know, gone further and developed further. That uh, that one uh, android that you just mentioned, I think it was Bina 48. Be- Bina? Yeah, Bina, Bina forty-eight. Yes, that was the 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 robot that was modeled after the black lesbian, right? Am I remembering yes, correctly? Yes, exactly, exactly. So, yep. I I think that's interesting and and perhaps somewhat controversial even in today's world. Um, you know, the, the characteristics that you would assign a robot um, to sort of flesh out their personality and and their traits. And I wonder if you have any thoughts about that. Yes, I do. I mean, on one hand, what's great is, is she's black. So there's a diversity issue, because if you if you think about it, in most of our world, the robots are white. And why? Um, so I think that's a great issue of, of, you know, enlarging our sense of possibility, potential. But what's very interesting about Bina and why I made her kind of the, the character to to run through the piece mm-hmm. is that instead of being just bot language, she's an experiment of the Terrasem Foundation to upload a human being's memories, stories, histories, way they speak, parts of speech, to add that to the bot language. And that's what makes Bina's speech so much, so different, and I find more interesting than the other robots, as much, which are almost purely bot language, are just responding with with totally programmed, sort of graduate student bot language programming. Whereas Bina 48 is responding much more personably, with more opinionated. She's being fed the opinion but they're the opinions of a real person. So they begin to to get a little more friction, a little more, you know, frayed edges, a little more interesting. Now, Terrasim would like each of you <laughs> to go and put your mind up uh, and upload it. Um, for me, what's interesting is the speech patterns become more intricate, more human. Um, on the other hand, uh, the question of immortality, for me personally, is a little... Um, is problematic um, in that if we do have overpopulation in the world, do you really want, you know, a copy of yourself as right, well? Right. Um, and you said it at one point, you were saying, is the future, will it be on a, a shelf? And, uh, you know, this is a question. Will these robots become like pets, um, you know, like your favorite dog or cat? Or will they be like... Um, uh, there are a couple of possibilities here. Or will they be like a toy that's 
you know, you stop using it and it ends up in your closet. You know, it stopped working. It's a machine that lost its electricity or you just got bored with it. Right. And then, uh, you know, and then somebody else said, will robots be like um, a car that everybody owns a robot? Or will it be like a helicopter that you only occasionally rent? <laughs> and I thought that was an incredible way to think about it. Like when we think about the future, will they walk among us commonly or will they be limited to special occasions, special, uh, you know, uh, work objectives? There's a glimpse of what all our futures might hold in this movie. And it's just great. Origin of the species. Abby Child, thanks for talking with us about it. Thank you. Wonderful question. Like to be here. You're very welcome. And one more time for folks who want to check it out and they have an interest in this, in robotics, and and even if you don't, you're going to see things here that will blow your mind. Uh, Tell our listeners one more time how they can see this brand new film before it's everywhere. Eventually, I'm sure it'll be on Netflix and Amazon Prime and all those places. But for right now, it's just coming out. And what's the website again? It's Doc New York City, and uh, it's a festival running from November 11th to the 19th. And you can go to Doc New York City, I guess, .com, and um, put in Origin of the Species, and you will find the film. Best of luck with it, and thanks for spending time with us today. Thank you again. That's Abby Child. She's the director and co-producer of Origin of the Species, a great new documentary. Check it out, and thank you so much for listening I'm Burke Allen live in Washington, D.C. Wherever you go, whatever you do, make it a great day. Bye, everybody.